and turn to Romans chapter 12, the first two verses. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let us pray. Father, we come before you this morning thanking you that you have given us the very word of truth, the word that transforms, the word that comes into our life and is changing us every time we present our bodies to it. Thank you, Lord, for the word of truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for being the word made flesh. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for coming and saving sinners. Thank you for coming and telling us the truth about ourselves. Lord, I pray even this day that eyes would be opened here and lives changed and transformed. I pray now that you would bless the preaching of your word and bless those that have ears to hear, to hear. In Christ's name, amen. Well, dearly beloved of Christ, we come here today for the very purpose that I might declare unto you that which I have seen and heard, and that you also may have fellowship with the Father and the Son. And truly our fellowship is with the divine Holy Trinity. And all of these things were written to you in this book that your joy might be full. Are you full of joy in your life? I come before you today to, to deliver this word to you. These, these are big verses. I, you know, there's always big verses, but there's some that seems to be bigger than others. And these two are big verses because they are the beginning of the rest of this letter as Paul is now transitioning from doctrine to practice. And so I come today to help increase your faith by whatever means the Lord will use this day through His Word to move you closer in your daily walk with Him, to prepare you more and more for the day that you will leave this earth and reign with Christ. Because every day you are either being conformed or transformed. There is no neutral ground. You're either being conformed or transformed. Today, I would love to see you transformed more and more to be like Christ, your big brother. Messiah is a great lover of souls. And the connection here that you see in Paul pleading with you comes from this place of love, this lover of souls that loves your soul. We sing that song, it says, Teach me to love as your angels love. One holy passion filling all my frame. The fullness of the heaven descended dove. My heart an altar, your love the flame. As we come today, I hope that you can taste a little bit of that 
in your own heart that you have one holy passion. That you, and if you don't have it all there today, you recognize it and say, God, I want to have more holy passion in my life. So the purpose today in this message is that your life would be one holy passion filling all your frame. And that your daily prayer would be for Him to teach you how to do that. Lord, how do I do that? How do I do that? Well, let's just walk through these verses today and just see some things that we can learn from these two verses He starts out here in Romans 12, 1. I hope you have your Bibles and you're looking at this because that helps. To try to work this into your soul and your mind. I beseech you, therefore, brethren. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. How are we transformed whereby we can be this one holy passion? And the first answer is by mercy. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. This is your motivation here. This is your motivation, the mercies of God upon you. Paul has told us over in Romans 8, He that spared not his own Son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him freely give us all things? All mercies. This mercy is God's benevolence. His tenderness of heart that disposes Him to treat an offender better than they deserve. This mercy is the highest form of mercy in that it is the saving of a life that does not deserve to live. It's by this mercy, Paul says, I beseech you, I entreat you. To present your bodies. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. Now, we can't pass over this word, therefore. Because therefore is the connecting word with everything that's gone before. And this is a pattern that we see within Scripture is that Paul in his letters, mainly lays down doctrine first. Teaching, what do you need to know about yourself, about sin, about your only hope to escape the sin and the wrath of God that is even now being poured out in the world? You've got to know some things first. We learn in Romans there's not a command until you get to chapter 6. And most of the commands are now going to take place in the rest of this book. But that, therefore, is a connection between knowledge and practice. Knowing and obeying. There must be a therefore in your life between Christian doctrine and your behavior. If there is no therefore in your life, then you just got a bunch of ideas in your head that are not transforming you. Oh, how hard it is to go from knowing to obedience. I know how this works. Me and Marvin went to a 
a preaching seminar a, a few months ago, and we came out of there with some really good things. And we learned some good things there. But it's a lot harder to keep practicing those things on and on into the future than it is to remember knowing about them. There must be a therefore in your life, a connection between the truths of the Christian religion and your behavior. And Paul has given you the motivation to move in that direction by the mercy of God that's been poured out upon you. You are a vessel of mercy if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. And He's preparing you. Every time you present yourself to the Word and reading it, to the worship and congregation, you're being changed. He is working in you through that. The power is in the Word. There's so many mercies we have. I love what the prophet Micah says in 7.18. He says, Who is a God like you that pardons sin and iniquity and passes by our mistakes? He retains not His anger forever because He delights in mercy. God delights in mercy. He loves to have mercy on you. If you fall down and you confess that sin, He loves to come have mercy on you. And in that you see that Jesus Christ is not just a Savior that saved on the cross 2,000 years ago by performing the atonement. He's a Savior every day. Every day in our life He is a Savior. And we need a Savior every day. And so here Paul is pleading, I beseech you by the mercies of God. He had received mercy. Had not Paul received mercy? He'd been rescued from being a cold, dead hypocrite, full of knowledge without any effect in his life of mercy. And Paul, after his great encounter with the Christ, would Be like David in Psalms 116. What shall I render unto the Lord for all His benefits toward me? What shall I render to my God for all His goodness to me? That's the heart of one holy passion responding to Christ, these mercies. What shall I render? We sang that while ago. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene and wonder how... He could love me, a sinner condemned unclean. Most of these songs we sing are hearts full of that kind of passion, one holy passion. And God blessed them with this poetry to come and to sing the doctrine that they so much loved and obeyed. This mercy is what draws us towards Him to do this presenting. What does it mean to present your body a living sacrifice? It means to yield yourself all of who you are. The body there really means everything that you are. Your mind, your heart, your spirit to God. It means to present close or near to be handy. A ready instrument. A ready instrument of obedience. 
your body will one day dissolve in the ground as it receives the due payment for your sins. Your very body will rise again in resurrection. What you do with that body between now and then matters and gives evidence of how you use your body and your mind gives evidence whether you really know Christ or not. The same word here used to present your body as a living sacrifice. Paul has already used this word back in Romans 6 when he said, don't yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. He said, don't yield your body to sin, but yield your body to righteousness and to God. It's the same word translated yield there as we have present. Present your bodies to Christ, your everything that you are to Him. One holy passion filling all your frame. Paul has the, as he's there in Romans 6, he's talking about you're, you're going to be either a slave to sin or a slave to Christ. Whose slave are you going to be? Jesus has set us free with the truth. And we present ourselves to Him in the Word and in preaching that we might be set free from that old nature. You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. This is a, this presenting your bodies to Christ is something that's present tense. You're always doing this. It's not something you do just once. We're always presenting our bodies. Every time we come here remembering what He did, written right on that table down there. We're always seeking to use our bodies for His glory. In 1 Corinthians 6.19, it always helps us to remember who's in the house. Your temple, your body. If you're a believer, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. What? Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you? Which you have of God and you're not your own. For you are bought with a price, blood price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. The Holy Spirit is in you. You will be obeying Him and presenting yourself. But there's a fight of faith in that where you have to press on toward the mark. And beware of the dangers of sin. So to present your body is to present your entire life and to make it available to God for His intended purpose. You know, whenever you're in the kitchen, you like to arrange your kitchen where everything is ready at hand. You've got your knives ready. You've got your spices ready for cooking. Your pots and pans are handy. You're not going to put the things you need all the way across the kitchen so you have to keep walking, but everything's ready at hand. The idea of presenting yourself to God is to... That you're ready at hand. That means you're not polluting your mind with things so that you're not useful. You have to be an instrument that's clean, a clean knife, a clean plate, a clean pot and pan, ready to use whenever He needs you. Are you at hand? Can you say this morning, 
that you are presenting your body, mind, and spirit to Him and that it's clean and ready for the Master's use. Make your body, present your bodies a living sacrifice. What does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, the idea is to give with loss. Living sacrifice. Obviously, Paul here is referencing the Old Testament. Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God. In the Old Testament, sacrifices were made of animals that could not have any spot or blemish. They were to be whole. They were to be without sin. In the sacrifice of the Passover, there's no yeast. Sin represented by yeast. Sacrifices were made... In the Old Testament, with salt, the covenant of salt, the everlasting covenant. The sacrifices, this living sacrifice, here we're talking about a burnt sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they had a burnt sacrifice. You know what that means? It means it was completely consumed. One holy Passion filling all my frame. You got a passion about something today in your life. That's the way you were made. What is your one passion? Is your one passion Christ, His Word, and His people? The Old Testament sacrifices we're dead sacrifices. In the New Testament, we're living sacrifices. We have a new and living way. Hebrews 10, by a new and living way which He has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say His flesh. We now are living sacrifices, living in obedience 1 Corinthians 6.20 Corinthians 6, For you are bought with a price. Therefore, there's another therefore. If you're bought with a price, there's a connection. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. You are a living sacrifice, Holy, living, acceptable. In the Old Testament, the Old Testament temple was made of cold, dead stones. In the New Testament, you are living stones. Built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.5 A living sacrifice is a perpetual sacrifice because it's living. It's always living. A living sacrifice is a lasting sacrifice. Never neglected sacrifice. It is a sacrifice where we live a life of hope. It's a sacrifice that never loses power. Of renewed strength daily. Where living waters are always flowing to us through the Holy Spirit. 
my heart an altar, His love the flame. A living sacrifice. Are you entirely consecrated to Christ? Husbands, in marriages, you must be entirely consecrated, separated to your wife. Which means you never look or lust after another woman. Now that's the goal. That's what you are called to. And Christ is our husband, and we're called to be completely consecrated to Him. To never look at another. And James over there says, you adulterers and adulteresses. He calls them adulterers. He's not talking about sexual sin there. He's talking about spiritual sin. To love something more than Christ in your heart is spiritual adultery. If your holy passion is all in sports, that's idolatry. If your holy passion is all in music, that's idolatry. Or food, or whatever. For the believer that's transformed, one holy passion filling all our frame is I'm standing amazed in His presence wondering, why would He die for me? It's knowing my heart. It's knowing your heart. How do we become this one holy passion by separation? He says here that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy. The word holy is the same word, sanctify, sanctification. And it means separation. When we say God is holy, 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 it means that He is a cut above anything you can think or imagine. When people worship or praise athletes or movie stars or whatever, we're thinking, man, they're just so much more talented than I am. They're more talented than anybody. And and you get at this veneration of human beings because they're a cut above. This one is holy, holy, holy. And He has called you out of the world. If you be in Christ, you've already been separated out of this world. That's why you can't find any pleasure in this world anymore. That's why when you try, you feel dirty and filthy. And you recognize, I feel empty. I'm not finding anything in that. By separation, a living sacrifice is a life where we live separated from the world. 1 Peter 2.11 Dearly beloved, I beseech you. There's that pleading again from Paul. I beseech you. As strangers and pilgrims, You're no longer of this world. You're like aliens from another planet. You don't belong here anymore. you got a citizenship somewhere else. And you're called to occupy here until the Master comes for you. And to not conform to this planet. I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust which war against the soul. You've got to separate yourselves from that. It's a separating of your body to use it a new way. A way for which it was made. Your body was made for worship. And you're going to be worshiping something. 
But your body was made to worship the infinite, holy, eternal, beautiful, glorious Christ. Jesus Christ is sanctifying His church right now through this truth. Right now, He's working in you and He's separating you. He prayed to His Father in John 17, 17, Sanctify them through Thy truth. Thy word is truth. He prayed that and I can promise you His prayers are answered. Now there may be some, listen to this, may listen to it someday, it's recorded, who are not separated yet. And as you hear this truth, you're going to have rebellion well up in your heart. And even now your mind is trying to go somewhere else. I pray that God would one day transform you so that you might see what you were made for. Living sacrifices that are separated. What do you need to separate from? What do you need to separate from? There's always something we have to separate and we have to keep separating. There's things over the course of your life He's going to show you more and more that that's a crutch you don't need. You need to lean on Him, not on that thing. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God. Acceptable is used twice in verse 1 and 2. Proving what is good and acceptable and perfect. That just means well-pleasing. What does it mean to be acceptable? It means to be pleasing to God. Isn't it amazing that we can do things that will please Him? When our lives are responding in love to the one who first loved us, we will be melted by that love and we will present ourselves to Him daily. And that will please Him. That will be well-pleasing to Him. We want to please our moms and dads. Oh, we know that from the youngest age. So, please your Father. Present yourself to Him. He moves on now into the next verse and uh, well, let me, let me get reasonable first which is your reasonable service. That word reasonable there means logical. Logical service. Presenting ourselves to Him is the only logical thing to do because He laid down His life for me. I ought to lay down my life for Him. Our love will never reach the same height, the same passion as His. We will never be as obedient as He was. We'll never suffer like He did. But all of that inspires us to follow His example. I remember in the Count of Monte Cristo, that book, it's one of my favorites, um, Edmund has to fight this pirate to the death. And Edmund spares, I think it's Jacopo's life. And so for the rest of Edmund's life, Jacopo becomes his servant. He becomes... His bond slave, because he says, you, a life for a life. You saved my life, I pledge my life to you for the rest of my life. And we see that in different stories, and we say, that's wonderful. That's the only reasonable thing to do. And so also, Christ loved us and gave himself for us. So it's the only reasonable thing to do. Reasonable service. 
And so as we present ourselves a perpetual offering to Him in love, we're now commanded. He, he moves to imperative verbs in verse 2. Be not conformed is the negative and be transformed is the positive. These always go together. You're either being conformed or you're being transformed. And there's times in the walk of the believer where if you get lazy and you just sit there, you will be eroding. Because the, just like the waves of water eventually will erode a rock, if you just sit there and do nothing, the waves of media, of social media, the waves of music, the ways of the culture of this world and all the appeals of advertising and all of that stuff will erode you and you will be slipping into confirmation to the world. And we all live in the culture here. It's hard to tell when you're living in the soup how much the culture affects you. I've talked before about when mom and dad make stew the potatoes take on some of the flavor of the carrots and the carrots take on some of the flavor of the potatoes and it all kind of mixes together there. We're living in the soup of American culture. And the wonder of grace is that it can keep you separate from that. But there's still sin are those places where we're being affected by the culture and where we have to always be thinking and wrestling with things. I'm still wrestling with things today about what's suitable to participate in in our culture. So here we are given the command. And this negative command implies that sin is still present. Don't be conformed to the world. That implies that you can be to a certain degree. Be not conformed to this world. You know, your old nature that is in you, it has its commands on you too. There are imperatives. Feed me! There's this raging lust within us and that sin that says, feed me! I'm not just talking about food there. The lust of the heart can be money, drugs, sex, rock and roll, all of that junk that we see that's eroded America. We have the world of fashion. It's a great little pamphlet written by a Baptist that uh, it's called The Public Undressing of America. And he shows how the fashion world convinced people to strip naked on the beach and put nothing on on the beach. And eventually how that has led to the public undressing of America. People wear things on the beach they would never wear walking down the street. We've been conditioned to that end. The world of fashion has great influence on the world. The world of morality. Today there is a new religion sweeping America that's trying to conform every, even churches to its view. And there are out there churches, so-called churches, that are not true churches of Christ, who have caved in to the new religion. And the new religion is really just Sodom and Gomorrah legitimized. Every form of sexual wickedness and sin. Be not conformed. 
Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. What a great lesson for us in this. Shadrach and Benny, right? So we have the great story of Daniel and the lion's den, the whole, all those wonderful stories. But do you know what was going on there? When they took the Jews captive, they were trying to destroy their culture and to put in Babylonian culture. And they did this by isolating them from their family. This is what the enemy will do to you. He wants to isolate you from your family. And then he wants to indoctrinate you. Public education in this country was taken over by an atheistic system back in 1920 and 1930s. Jim Dewey, who, was, who signed the Communist Manifesto back in the 30s, said every child that comes to school with a belief in God is mentally ill. They've had it for a hundred years. What do you expect in a society if that's been going on where the majority of those being educated are being trained? God doesn't exist. You are God. You can do whatever you want. Well, you would expect chaos. And that's what we're seeing. So they were indoctrinated, Daniel and his friends. And then they were assimilated. You have to eat this way. You've got to eat just like everybody else eats. And Daniel and his friends, to their credit, said, No, we have a particular diet we have to stick to. And then he tried to confuse their identity by giving them new names. There is so much confusion in our society today. People think their identity is whatever they make it. They can just make it up. One day I'm a man, one day I'm a woman. They're so confused in their identity. The only place that you will ever find out who you are is in relation to the one who made you. That's from chapter 7 in Union with Christ. Y'all remember that, men? You cannot be self-made or self-remade. Union with Christ is the only place you will find out who you really are. And so we see that this isolation from family, indoctrination, assimilation, and confusion continues to take place as a strategy of the enemy. It reminds me of a verse, Deuteronomy 18.9. When you are come into the land which the Lord thy God gives you, you shall not learn to do after the abominations of these nations. If you want to read what those abominations are, read Leviticus 18 and then read the headlines and you'll see there's not much difference. This is why the scripture says this to you, believer. Be not conformed. He says, be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship has righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion has light with darkness? That applies to marriage. That applies to business dealings. Don't be yoked together because you will be affected by that. That is why 
marriage, who you marry, is so important. I'll just throw this again. I, I heard this from a message years ago. Young people who are getting close to the age of marriage, don't be looking for the person you're to marry. You be looking at Christ. You be running after Christ as fast, as hard as you can. Let your life be one holy passion for Christ. And one day, and you're running the race of faith following Christ, you'll look to the side and there will be somebody running right beside you who's got one holy passion for Christ. And you say, hey, maybe we can run this race together. If you're trying to attract a mate through the fashion of this world, you're going to get exactly what you're trying to attract. Be careful about this thing of marriage. We see so much heartache, and even today going on in some of our families related around marriage. And you can't always know. I know that. That's why you have to have counsel. You have to have parents involved. You have to have a church family helping you pray over those decisions. In Ephesians 2.2, 2, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. Paul speaking there to the believers in Ephesians said, this is what you used to do. You used to walk according to the course of this world. That's being conformed to the world. According to the prince of the power of the air, Satan's kingdom, the spirit that now works in the children of disobedience, And then he says, but now, but God who's rich in mercy, for His great mercy wherewith He loved us, hath quickened us together with Christ. What a mercy to realize, you know, I was headed that way, and I didn't even know it was the wrong way. I was on the Broadway to destruction, drinking and partying, having a good time. I thought this was all there is, it's all there was. And then... I woke up one day and realized, we're headed for destruction. What a mercy to be separated from that. In 1 John 2.15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any one love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. 1 John is the litmus test for whether you're in Christ or not. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And John would go on and say in chapter 5, And we know... And if you're in Christ, you know this too. And we know that we are of God. And the whole world lies in wickedness. It's a narrow way and it's not easy. And there are so many alluring things. The siren song It's so loud, but the Holy Spirit will keep you tied to the mast. 
Be not conformed. That is the negative. Be transformed is the positive. Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Be transformed. Another command. You must do it. But I'll tell you at the same time, this is one of those constructions of language that's challenging because this verb is a command. You're to do this. And it's a passive verb, which means you're not active in it. How are we to figure that out? I'm commanded to do this, and then it's a passive verb, which means I'm not active in it. There's nothing you can do to be transformed. All you can do is come to Christ, present your body a living sacrifice, saying, you told me to do this, I'm, I'm coming. And present yourself to the Word, and, the, and you say, I can't do it, Lord Jesus. Change me. You change me. Holy Spirit, you change me. I need your help. I can't do it without you. There's no rules I can keep. There's no law I can follow. So change me. Give me a heart that loves you. Give me one holy passion filling all my frame. Be not conformed, but be transformed. It's another beautiful paradox for the Christian faith. You must do it and you can't do it. I can do all things through Christ that strengthens me. And so we present our mind, our soul, our body to Christ. Christ. Say, here it is, Lord. My living sacrifice. Take me and use me for what you would have me do. Lord, I'm waking up this morning. I'm, I'm going to work. Father, I want my work today to be one sacrifice to you. Help me to serve you this day. I'm going to class. Father, help me not to be conformed by anything that's being taught in school or in the workplace. Help me to have the wisdom to understand the difference and help me, Lord, to be transformed by your word. Help me to be the brilliant shining light in this dark, evil world. All of you are called to be bright, shining points of light in the world that have the truth that would draw others out of the darkness. So as you do that, line by line, precept by precept, sermon by sermon, verse by verse, you are being transformed through joy, through pain, through every circumstance. God doesn't waste anything in your life. Even the years that the locusts have eaten, it appears to us the locusts ate our crop and we didn't get anything. Even in those seasons of our life, we feel like they weren't productive or that we wasted it. God doesn't waste nothing. He uses it to transform you. The word transform there is metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. As we behold Christ in this book, as we behold Christ in each other, in our patience and long-suffering and kindness toward one another. We're being transformed. We're being changed. Jesus Christ, when He was transfigured, same word, He was metamorphosized. This week, we had the opportunity to go see that, didn't we? So we went to the butterfly exhibit out at Callaway Gardens this week. 
And these, you know, you first walk in and they've got all the uh, chrysalis, chrysalis. I've tried to get that right. And you have them all hanging up there. And they import these from all over the world. And you see them hatching there. So they go from the egg stage to the larva stage to the worm stage to the chrysalis. And then the butterfly. And when they're in the worm stage, there are these little six-legged worms that are eating machines. That's all they do. They eat and eat and eat. And then they come to a, a certain stage where there is an enzyme that's released and a chemical signal goes from the top of their head all the way to their foot and they hang upside down and they shed their exoskeleton and they form this chrysalis. And then... There's enzymes that come into that worm and everything inside that worm is completely dissolved except the feeding tube. And then there are these discs that form that come in there and everything within that worm is recreated into a butterfly. And the way it works is those discs go to the DNA the genetic information instruction. So kids, this is like if you get you a little Lego kit and you open up the little instruction book and you've got step one, step two, step three, step four. These little discs are going through that worm following all of the steps that God has put in there and the instructions and that creature is transformed and it comes out a beautiful butterfly. Isn't that the sermon God wrote in that for you? You see, as you bring your mind, renewing your mind to the truth, that's the DNA, the genetic information of what you're going to be in resurrection. And the more you present your body as a living sacrifice to this Word and to worship and to each other for discipline and chastening, the more you are being recreated into what you're going to be. And we all with open face beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord are changed into the same image from glory to glory even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And this is done by renewal, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but it begins with regeneration. According to His mercy, again, He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. And so that now we renew our mind, we humble our mind, we submit our mind to the Word of Truth, this DNA that's transforming you so that you can come out this beautiful butterfly. As we looked at those butterflies, they have some on display there, and it's amazing. One side is like this, one of my favorites was the brilliant blue color, kind of shimmering blue. And then when it closes its wings, there's a design on the outside that's just marvelous. One of the moths that was on display, there is a, an owl's face on the wings of a butterfly. I mean, it has to be an owl. I mean, it looks just like an owl. And it's the most beautiful, brilliant, perfect picture of an owl I have ever seen. And God put that on that butterfly for Charles Dawkins. 
Because he's just saying, explain that one. Your God is so wonderful. He has made such glorious things for you to enjoy. And in all of those things, the transformation, he, He's showing you, I'm doing that in your soul right now. No, you can't see it now. You can sense it. Can't you sense as you walk in your faith that things have changed? Don't you understand now that, you know, I go back sometimes and watch an old movie. I look at that movie and I say, I can't believe I watched that. There's something that's changed about my appetites. Even for books and entertainment, even for music, my appetite's changing. And so, more and more, we, as Paul says in Ephesians 4, is that we put off concerning the former conversation, the old man, and we put on the new man. How do we do that? Ephesians 4, it says, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Renewed in the spirit of your mind. You've got to put off being conformed to the world and put on righteousness and true holiness. So from your new birth, this transformation is taking place in you. And you're commanded to do this. Now your old nature is deceitful. He's going to try to trick you. He's going to allure you. He's going to say, oh, it's just a little one. It's just a little sin. But in all of those things, he's seeking to disrupt this transformation, to slow it down, to take away from your joy and your peace. But we are to be putting on this new man, the new creation, the transformation. Colossians 3.10, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. We're being made into the image of the perfect man. We're being conformed to the image of Christ. Isn't that wonderful? You're never going to lose your individuality in that. You're just going to become the beautiful, glorious creature you can only become through Christ. In order to do that, not be conformed, it means you can't make provision for the flesh. Romans 13, 14, don't make provision for the flesh. What does that mean for you, to not make provision for the flesh? I don't know. Depends on what your besetting sin is. Cookies in the cupboard or a computer in the study. Those are the things you have to wrestle with. David said in Psalms 101.3, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. I hate the work of them that turn aside. It shall not cleave unto me. You know, we get into this thing of, of enjoying entertainments. I get it. We've got Avengers Part 54, whatever, coming out. But there comes a point, let me tell you the direction the world is going. How long are we going to support Walt Disney? When Walt Disney, the leader, came out and said, well, you know, politics isn't really the way to transform people's minds about LGBTQ. The way we do it is through cute little children's stories. When do we turn that off? When do we stop supporting it financially? Those are questions we must wrestle with. The renewing of our mind in truth leads to obedience. It connects us. The therefore. The therefore connects us with the doctrine so that we can prove. He says, And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect 
will of God that you may prove. What are we proving? That means to choose. It really means to discern. What kind of discernment do you have? The more you renew your mind according to truth, you will have better discernment. Whoever your friends are, the the friends you choose will have a great impact on your life. Be careful what friends... Again, your friends need to be the kind that have one holy passion for Christ. If not, they're going to have one holy passion for the world. If you yoke yourself to those kinds of friends, you're going to be conformed. You could be led away. And the greatest grief I've seen in the church in my own life is to have a child who's walked away from the church. And all of my pleadings as a father pointing them to Christ has been rejected so far. I have great hopes. And so we must be renewed in our mind because we have a deceitful heart and the world is alluring. And we have family members that have been allured who don't understand. It's only 70 years and then we give an account. What's 70 years to 70 million? Oh, we must have the big view. Death is the end. It could be a car crash for me tomorrow. There's an urgency to these things. And we must learn to choose, to test, to examine, to prove the things that are good and acceptable the things that the Lord wants us to choose. And as we do this, we will develop discernment. We will learn how to examine ourselves and examine ourselves by the Word of Truth. The Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. It cuts your heart right open. You've got to do that. It hurts, but it hurts good. How are you doing with discernment and choosing and renewing your mind. It's Again, it's so simple. Where you spend your time. Where you spend your money. Where you spend your thoughts. Is where your heart is going to have a passion. Be not conformed to this world. But be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. But between the beginning of your life and the end of your life, you are being changed one way or another. Between the beginning and the end of your life, however long it is you live, it could be 10 years, 20 years, Jim Reynolds was 61. Others live up into their 80s or 90s. You're being changed. You're either being conformed to this world or you're being transformed. There is no neutral ground. Those that are of Christ, that love Him, You're going to be fighting the good fight of faith. You're going to be pressing toward the mark of the high calling. You're going to be careful with your friends. When someone starts pursuing you, if you're a young lady or if you're a guy that's interested in somebody, you've got to be slow down, get a hold of your passions and think with discernment about those decisions. Every decision you make in life is adding up to something. It's called reaping and sowing. Are you going to reap to the flesh or are you going to reap from the Spirit? What is the course of your life today? Can you say that it's one holy passion filling all your frame? Are you presenting yourself to the Lord? I challenge you, believers, 
to have a plan. Everybody has goals at work. Do you got any goals at home? Fathers, do you have goals for your children? You got goals for your employees. We need to have a plan about how we're being transformed. Do you know what the strategy is here? We've got Sunday morning, we've got a Sunday afternoon, and we've got a Wednesday night. We've got men's and women's book studies. And through that strategy, the, the amount of ground and material we've covered in the last five years is amazing. And all of that is helping prepare your soul for the separation of the body. I pray that you would use that strategy that God has blessed us to have here. Make it available and think about what your plan is for being changed. If you have never felt that kind of passion or if you're somebody today saying, you know, I'm not feeling it like I ought to, good that you can see that and acknowledge it. I Repent, go to him and say, Lord, I want to be like that. We're not always going to be full of passion and one, one flame for Him. But we need to be headed that way. We need to recognize it. I pray that God would bless His Word.